All right. Are you ready for the word? I'm going to begin today and the next three Sundays, Lord willing, talking about something that um, that I, I sense God put on my heart uh, this past week, praying about this. We will get back. I keep on saying this. We will get back, Lord willing, to 1 Corinthians. I want to feel that. I finish that off. We're, we're at the end of chapter 10 right now with that series, but I want to do like a mini-series called Overtaken by God's Blessings. Overtaken by God's blessings. I believe there are three areas that we need to get right if we want the blessing of God to overtake us in our lives. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God's blessings are there and they overtake us. God is a God of blessing. If you brought your Bibles, turn first of all. And I'm going to be sharing a lot of scripture this morning. I like to back up the word with the word because scripture interprets itself and, and uh, it's pretty self-explanatory. So I'll be sharing a lot of passages of scripture this morning. Uh, if you're taking notes, the best thing to do is sometimes I'll say, well, Deuteronomy 28 verse 2. Write down 28.2 and then put D-U-E-T period it, for, for memory's sake. Or just listen to it again on the internet when it's posted. Probably the easiest thing to do. But Deuteronomy 28, verse 2, uh, this is the verse for the series, but then I'll be going to Exodus 34. So Deuteronomy 28, 2, And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. The blessings of God, they shall come upon you and, it says, overtake you. You go down a few verses later to verse 8, where it says God commands his blessings on you. Do, you. do you realize that God commands his blessings on your life? Now, how many want that? You know, I do. I want the blessing of God to be upon my life. And then, so that's Deuteronomy 28. Then turn to Exodus chapter uh, 34. We'll come back to this toward the end of the message. But I want to read for you verse 10, where it says, Exodus 34, 10, Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any, other, in any nation in all the world. The people that, that uh, you live among will see, the people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Now, how many want God to move in such a way that others will say, what an awesome God you serve? That's what that's about. In other words, the people you live among will see how awesome the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Now, we all want things to go well in our life. We want to live a life that is joyful, a life that is satisfying and fulfilling in the presence of God. You want your needs to be met. You want your prayers not only to be heard, but to be answered. You want your lost family to find salvation. You want to be free from, from addictions and the demons that haunt you. You want God's peace and tranquility. You want to live a life that God intended for you. In other words, to have the blessing of God overtake you or for God to command his blessings on you. Listen, God is a God of order. God has created order out of chaos. He spoke the universe into existence when he created it, and he built in it order. There is order in everything in creation. There is order even in how the planets rotate around the sun. There is order in how each planet rotates on its axis. There is even order in the physical rules that God set up in our solar system and on our planet. For example, God has created gravity. So we could have an atmosphere, air to breathe, weather, and most important, dry land to live on. Now, if it weren't for gravity holding the seas at bay, we would be underwater. Even the moon's gravity controls the ocean's tides. And so gravity is a force, a law of order that God has put in place to benefit all of us and if we foolishly choose to ignore the law of gravity and step off a cliff, what happens? Well, the law of gravity takes over and we fall. Then the law of smack takes over. We hit the ground, smack, and we splat all over the ground. Now, 
we use these various laws that God has put in order in, in his universe. Uh, another one we use is the law of thermodynamics to our benefit, but they also can act against us as well. Take the second law of thermodynamics, for instance. I call it the law of old. Basically, it states that energy degrades over time, and the former state of a thing is never the, the same state as the current state. And that's why, honestly, we can't make a perfect appliance because they will wear out, and you'll have to get a new one. It's also why our bodies grow old and why we die. Now, to me, this law goes directly against evolution. Evolution claims that over billions of years, everything is basically developing upward, becoming more orderly and complex. However, this basic law of science, the second law of thermodynamics, says the opposite. The pressure is not upwards, it is downward towards simplification and disorder. Now, speaking of the laws of thermodynamics, what happens when you drive a wedge of uranium-238 into a ball of uranium-238 at a high velocity? Don't try that at home unless you're at least 30 miles away from me. Thank you very much. Because when you drive a wedge of uranium-238 into a ball of uranium-238 at high velocity, you get a nuclear explosion. Now, we don't want that to happen, but it's a physical law that God set in place when God created our universe. Listen, God is a God of order in the universe, and if we don't respect his laws, we pay a price. Let me give you some more scientific laws from my own childhood experiments. Kids, teenagers, don't try this at home without adult supervision. How about the law of shock? If you touch two electric wires together that have current running through them, you get shocked. Or as a boy, if you pee on your grandpa's electric fence, you get shocked and you won't do that again. How about the law of stick? If you touch your tongue to a freezing metal flagpole, you will piece, uh, leave a piece of your tongue when you rip it off. How about the law of kick? If you hold a shotgun in front of your mouth instead of on your shoulder and pull the trigger, you will knock out your two front teeth, which I did, <laughs> thus having crowns. I always kid my dentist, her favorite hymn is crown him with many crowns. Uh, how about the law of uh-oh? If you shoot your BB gun at a puddle of water, it may ricochet and hit the neighbor's window, which it did when I was a boy. Or if you shoot an arrow from a bow and arrow shooting at a telephone pole, pole across the street, it may also ricochet and into your neighbor's front door, different neighbor. That also happened to me. And then you have the law of reduced allowances kicking in until the damage is paid for. My mom can verify all that. How about the law of Yahoo! This law goes into effect when you hit your thumb with a hammer. It's like, yo, yahoo, you know. Or when your parents find out you've been blowing chocolate milk through straws in the house when they were gone only to find out they were outside watching you do that while you were tearing up the house and making a mess. I can go on and on, but we all have these laws that we understand, and if we violate those laws, there is a price to pay. Well, not only is there a price to pay in God's natural laws, we also pay a price when we violate God's spiritual laws. And so today, I'm starting this three-part series. We're going to talk about three areas that you and I need to get right in order for the blessings of God to overtake us. Three areas, if we want to see God move powerfully by His Spirit, and I'm going to talk about one, one area each week. The first one we're going to talk about today is the area of obedience. Now, the background for today's message, and this is where some of the scriptures come in hand, but it's Exodus 32, 33, part of 34. In Exodus 32, if you want to turn there, we have the story of the golden calf, 
The people got tired of waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain. Most of us know that story. And uh, they took things into their own hands. Now, Aaron seriously compromised God's standard in order to please the people that he served. Exodus 32, 7 and 8 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt. Notice here, God's shifting the blame, if you will, to Moses. It's your people, not my people. God, they were God's people, but God says, you know, I think I'm done with them. You know, your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have become quick to turn away from what I commanded them. All right. And have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it. And have said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Well, God wanted to destroy them for what they did and, and for, for them sinning against God, having another God besides God. And, and to me, then comes one of the most beautiful illustrations of intercession in Scripture. And it's Exodus 32, verses 9 through 11, where, where it says this, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. And then God said, look at verse 10, Exodus 32, 10. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. In other words, God's saying, I want to wipe them out. And Moses, we're going to start over. All right, it's just me and you. But, but Moses, here it is, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Man, friends, we need God's favor on our lives. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Oh Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people? <laughs> so Moses is putting it back on God. Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Now here are the spiritual implications. Oftentimes we read this and we pass over it, but God is saying, leave me alone. I've had enough. And Moses basically is saying, God, I'm not going to leave you alone. Because if I leave you alone, then, then you're going to destroy them. But if I don't leave you alone, if I intercede, if I seek your favor and your mercy, God, if I do this, then you're going to have to forgive them. You know? And so God says, leave me alone. Stop activating my mercy. Stop, Moses, stop touching my soft spot. Moses, you're moving me toward redemption again. Let me alone. Why? Because, because James tells us that mercy triumphs over judgment. And so Moses was standing in the gap, if you will. He was standing there saying, God, be merciful to your people. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And Moses says, there's no way I'm leaving you alone, God. There's no way I'm going to leave you alone. I mean, you mean if I stay here and intercede, you're going to restrain your judgment? You're going to move toward redemption? You're going to move toward mercy? God, you're going to relent and change your mind toward them? You mean if I stay here as, as an intercessor, and if I stay here, that you're going to re, uh, forgive them? And there's going to be hope for this hopeless, imperfect people. Friends, that's the power of intercession. And you as an individual can be a world changer through your intercession. Psalm 106, a quick cross-reference, verse 23. Psalm 106, 23. So he said he would not destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him, before God, to keep God's wrath from destroying them. And so here we have Psalm 106.23 verifying then what it just said in Exodus that I just read to you. But we move on then in Exodus 32, verse 19. It says, Moses also burned with anger when coming down from the mountain and through the tablets that God had inscribed the Ten Commandments on. And he took the calf and ground it into powder and made the Israelites drink it. And then Moses challenges them, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And then he stood, and then he told them to strap a sword to their side and go, then go throughout the camp, killing those who would not follow the Lord. And about 3,000 people uh, died that day. Well, the chapter ends by saying that the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with a calf, with the golden calf. And then we come to Exodus 33, verses 1 through 3. Exodus 33. 
The Lord said to Moses, leave this place and the people you brought up out of Egypt, once again, the people you brought out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will, send it to your, uh, I, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out all the ites, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but, God says, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. And then we jump down to verse 12 of Exodus 33. Moses said to the Lord, Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and I found, and I found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, Teach me your ways so I may know and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people, all right? And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And then shortly thereafter, Moses is crying out to God, God, show me your glory. God, I, I, must, I must be a person of your presence and your glory. Show me your glory. And then in chapter 34, the Lord tells Moses to chisel out two new stone tablets like the first ones. I want to pick up in, in verse 5 of chapter 34. Coming then back to where I started with verse 10. Uh, uh, then the Lord came down in the cloud, stood there with him, and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Hallelujah. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers of the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. And then we come back to where I started this morning. And the Lord says, I am making a covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders, not like, uh, wonders never before done in any other nation in the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Verse 11, obey what I command you today. And I will drive out the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Hevites, and the Jebusites. Now, the very first thing you and I need to get right and keep right in our lives if we want the blessings of God to overtake us, if we want others to see how awesome our God is, is to live a life of obedience. Obedience. I mean, in Exodus 34, 11, obey, obey what I command you today. The NIV says, the King James Bible says, observe, observe thou that which I command thee this day. So what is it, observe or obey? It's both. The Hebrew word for observe is S-H-A-M-A-R. And it means to hedge about, generally to protect, to attend to. It means to, to take heed to self, to keep. It means to obey. The same Hebrew word is found in the following passages. And I'm just going to read the chapter and, and part of the verse to give you an idea how often this Hebrew word is actually used in the Bible. Deuteronomy 4, 1 and 2. Follow, follow my decrees. Follow them. Keep the commands. Deuteronomy 4.40, keep his decrees and commands. Deuteronomy 5.32, be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Deuteronomy 6 verse 3, be careful to obey so it may go well with you. 
and that you may increase greatly in the land. Deuteronomy 6.25, be careful, once again, careful to obey all this law. Deuteronomy 12.28, be careful to obey all these regulations I am giving you. Deuteronomy 12.32, see that you do all I command you. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, Verse 2 was the text for our, the blessings of God overtaking us. But verse 1 says, If you fully obey the Lord your God and fo careful, fo carefully follow all His commands, the Lord says, The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Now, there's the Old Testament. But the idea of this word for obey is carried over in the New Testament. You recall the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus says, go into all the world, preach the gospel. He says, and teaching them to observe, one translation says, another says to obey. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then Jesus also says in John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. I remember back in 1 Kings chapter 3 when God said to Solomon, Solomon, ask for whatever you want of me. What did Solomon ask for? I heard it all over. Say it out loud. We say he asked for wisdom. Let me challenge you on that. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9. King James Bible says, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart. Give me an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this, this thy so great a people? The, the NIV says, So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. The, the Hebrew word there is also the same word for obey. It's shama, S-H-A-M-A, and it literally means give your servant a hearing, obedient heart. Didn't ask for wisdom, but I mean that's implied in that. But give your servant a hearing heart, a heart that will obey. That's why the New Century version of the Bible says this, of 1 Kings 3.9, I ask that you give me an obedient heart so I can rule the people in the right way. In other words, God, I want to hear from you. God, I want to know what you have to say with the implication of God, what you tell me, I will do. I will obey. No questions asked. Now, the word translated obey in the Old Testament simply means to hear, and it's so often translated that way. In the New Testament, several words describe obedience. One word means to hear or listen in a state of submission. Another New Testament word often translated obey is our word trust. Trust. Friends, God can be trusted. Obedience simply means doing what God has asked you to do without reservation and without hesitation. And let me add that God doesn't owe you or me an explanation or a reason for everything God asks us to do. Understanding can wait, but obedience can't. Psalm 119 verse 4 says, You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Deuteronomy 28, 1 again. If you fully obey the Lord. I'm here to tell you this morning, partial obedience is not enough. Partial obedience is not enough. God claims exact full obedience. God is interested in nothing less than absolute and complete surrender. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I was telling somebody just in the last week that, that uh, one of the biggest needs I see in the Western church is 
understanding what the Bible says because we are biblically illiterate. And I say that because it seems like every movie star, every entertainer, everyone that dies, rest in peace, not everybody that dies goes to heaven. Even though we can say, you know, rest in peace, or you're playing up there with, you know, with, with whatever. It's like, no. Uh, A.W. Tozer, a great quote. He said, the Lord will not save those whom he cannot command. Yeah. He will not divide his offices. You cannot believe on a half Christ. We take him for what he is, the anointed Savior, the Lord who is King of kings and Lord of all lords. He would not be who he is if he saved us and called us and chose us without the understanding that he can also guide and control our lives. Amen, A.W. Tozer. See, what I'm trying to say is this. We cannot pick and choose the commands that we want to obey. Why is it many of us want God to speak to us powerfully? We want to see God use us powerfully. However, we're not interested in making any major adjustments in our lives to come in alignment with God. I mean, until you are ready to obey and do what God has asked you to do, you will be of little use to God. And I believe our, our, greatest, our greatest single difficulty is right here. And following God comes right here. Will I obey him? Will I obey him? And it comes back then, do I trust him? You know, will I do what I want to do or will I do what he wants me to do? Let's pretend that it is the end of this year, 2024. We're, we just celebrated Christmas, Thanksgiving. We didn't gain, gain any weight this year for the holidays. Hallelujah. We got a new president because of the election in November. Hallelujah. And we look back at 2024 and how will 2024 be defined for you? I mean, should Jesus tarry, and we're at the end of December, what will this past year look like? Did I obey him fully, or was it a year of disobedience? See, Joshua chapter 1, 6 through 9 says, Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong, God says, and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. And do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In other words, what is he saying? You want to be successful? You want to be prosperous? Well, then follow the rules. Obey. Fully obey is what he is telling us. You want to be pathetic and defeated? Then rebel and don't follow the rules. If you would read Deuteronomy, you will discover that there is no book in the Bible which uses the word obey so frequently as Deuteronomy or speaks so much of the blessings that obedience will assuredly bring. I mean, the whole book is summed up in these words, Deuteronomy 11, 27, 28. I set before you a blessing if you obey and a curse if you do not obey. Now, once again, we all want God's blessing and we're praying for God's blessing to overtake us, but maybe we should be more concerned with, with obeying God, fully obeying God, and letting the blessings take care of themselves. In other words, don't pursue the blessing, pursue the blesser. God will take care of the blessing. Now, where you are spiritually today is the culmination of your yeses and your noes to the Holy Spirit. Every time you say no to God, you are saying yes to the devil. If you're living a crummy, dysfunctional, and unsatisfying life, it's because you're not following his rules, but your own rules. 
listen, I know how we got into this mess, and we got in this mess one no at a time, and we'll get out of this mess one yes at a time by saying yes to him. And so if you want to know how to be obedient to God, learn to say yes to him. You recall, remember when Peter had that vision, four, four corners, sheets dropped down, you know, kill and eat? Uh, not so, Lord. Well, you don't, tell, you don't call him Lord and say not so when he says something to you. And so if he's Lord, you know, you know what I'm saying? If he's Lord, you're not going to tell him uh, no. You're going to say yes, Lord, you know. Uh, but so, so learn to say yes to Jesus. A lot of times we make, we make a list of, of the commands we like, those that we like to obey, while ignoring the things that we think are unreasonable, difficult, expensive, or unpopular. Well, I'll read my Bible, but I won't, forget the, I won't forgive the person who, who offended me, who hurt me, you know. I'll attend church, but, uh, but I won't be involved in ministry. I'm just going to sit like a little lump on a log, you know, over here, you know. I'll attend church, but I won't tithe. You know, we, we put all these parameters up, and we say, God, I'll do this and that, but I'll only go so far. And God says, no, I want you going all the way. You know, Charles Finney describes revival as simply a new beginning of obedience, of obedience to God. You want to experience personal revival? Obey. Obey. Proverbs 16, 20, Living Bible says, God blesses those who obey him. God blesses those who obey him. Happy is the man who puts his trust in the Lord. And then we have Leviticus chapter 26, uh, verses 3 and on. It says, if you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season. By the way, rain, a lot of you brought umbrellas today. You heard the message last week. I will send you rain in its season. The ground will yield its crops. The trees of the field, their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and grape harvest will continue until planting, and you will eat all the food you want. And, and God says, I'll give you peace, this and that. I mean, all these blessings that come for obedience. Then we jump down to verse, verse 14. But if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commandments, God says, if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring upon you sudden terror, wasting diseases. You'll plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. And he goes on, there's going to be afflictions. And, and all of a sudden we see, wait a minute, God, God does bring blessing for obedience, but there's, there's curses for disobedience. So, so keep in mind, always biblically, God always blesses obedience as difficult as obedience is because honestly obedience is very costly we say god is lord and that he can interrupt us at any time we just don't expect him to do it in our lives we expect god to affirm everything we are doing and never ask us to change anything we have planned. You see, we, 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 we tend to want God to go down the channels that we have already established and protect our own plans, our own programming. And, and, and when you do that, friends, you're in trouble spiritually. I'm, just, I'm simply saying obedience can be very costly. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11 lists some of the costs that the apostle Paul had to pay for following and obeying Christ. I mean, Paul says hard work being imprisoned, flogged, exposed to death, whipped, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, constantly in danger. He concluded to say, I bear on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul didn't have all these wonderful experiences when he began to obey and do the will of his Lord. But because he obeyed the Lord, it cost him something. Obedience was costly. But yet Paul would say, man, I, I still want to know him. I want, to know, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him in sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow, Paul says, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this, Paul says, or have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And so there was, this, there was this desire, even though it was costing Paul a lot and ended up costing him his life, obedience was costly. When Moses obeyed God, the workload of the children was increased and the Israelite foremen were beaten. They paid a high price, high cost for Moses to do the will of God. Even when Jesus obeyed his father and died on the cross, 
His mother Mary had to suffer the agony of watching her son be cruelly killed. I mean, Jesus' obedience put fear and pain in the lives of every one of his disciples. Back to the Apostle Paul, when, when Paul followed God's will in preaching the gospel, others were led to respond to God's work in their own lives. Jason and some of the others were arrested by a rioting mob and accused of treason because of their even association with Paul. And frequently, Paul's obedience to God's will endangered the lives of those who are with him. Obedience is costly. Jesus said that the one who is in an intimate relationship with him is the one who does the will of the Heavenly Father. Matthew 12, verse 50. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What is he saying? He's saying, my family consists of those who obey me, who do God's will. Now, Jesus clearly said that by obedience, a person indicates his or her love relationship with God. John 14, verse uh, 15. If you love me, Jesus says, you will obey what I command. Jumping down to verse 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and will show myself manifest myself to him. Even James, in his letter to the believers, went to great lengths to indicate that faith that does not obey in actions is dead or has no life. And even when the disciples obeyed Jesus, they saw and experienced God's mighty power working in and around them. Now, in many ways, obedience in our lives is the moment of truth. I mean, what you do will reveal what you believe about him. What you do will reveal what you believe about him. Can I really trust him? Do I really trust him? What you do will determine whether you experience his mighty work in and through you, and what you do will determine if you will come to know him more intimately. What did our text say back to Exodus 34, verses 10 and 11? The Lord said, I am making a covenant with you before all your people, and I will do wonders never before done in any nation of the world. In all the world, the people you live among will see how awesome is the, is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey, obey what I command you today. Church, if we have, please listen to me, if we have an obedience problem, we have a love problem. It is spiritually impossible for you to believe one way and practice another. By obedience, a person indicates his or her love relationship with God. If you do not obey him, it indicates that you do not know him. Even in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus emphatically says, Matthew chapter 7, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Verse 22, Jesus still speaking, says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in thy name have, have we not cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then and I will profess unto them, I never knew you. I depart from me, you workers of iniquity. In effect, Jesus is saying, I never approved of you, you workers of lawlessness. You would have no law, no governance over you. You took the gift but forsaken the giver. You, you, you used the anointing but never bowed the knee to his lordship. You're like a wild maverick doing your own thing. And, and Jesus is saying, Hartman paraphrase, you want me to be a resident of your lives but not the president of your lives. You've never submitted, basically, to his authority. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never had an intimate love relationship with you. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus, once again speaking, says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do, and do not do what I say? Church, if we're going to have the blessings of God overtake us, we have to get this obedience thing right 
with God. We got to do things God's way, not our way, not man's way. See, the whole acceptance of the truth of God is not merely a matter of intellectual assent or even strong emotion. It is a sub, uh, subjection of the life to the dominion of the truth of God. See, the Christian life is an obedient life. John said this in 1 John 2, 3 and 4. We know that we have come to know him if what? We obey his commands. The man who says, well, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. You see, church, the attempt to be justified through faith in Christ without a commitment to obey and follow Christ is doomed to failure. It's not going to work. 1 John 5, 3. And this is love for God, to obey his commands. But then John adds this, and his commands are not burdensome. The commands of God are not burdensome. The commands of God are for our benefit. The commands of God are for our, our, our blessing and for our protection. Yes, God loves us deeply. Yes, God loves us profoundly. And because God loves us, he has given us guidelines for living lest you miss the full dimension of that love relationship. But also realize that life also has some landmines that can destroy you and wreck your life. And so God doesn't want you to miss out on his best and he does not want to see your, right, your life wrecked. Now suppose this morning you had to cross a field full of landmines. And a person who knew exactly where every one of them was buried offered to take you through it. Would you say to that person, I don't want you to tell me what to do. I don't want you to impose your ways on me. I don't know about you, but I would stay as close to that person who knew where every landmine was. I would be walking exactly where they walked and not any, any, any bit to the right or left. I would be following closely. That's our walk with God. You see, God's directions to me are to preserve my life. God would say, Brian, don't go that way because that way will kill you. Go this way and you will live. Obey me and you will experience my blessings. See, church, that in the truest sense is the purpose of God's commands. God wants us to have life. God wants us to live an abundant life. The blessings of God will overtake us if we obey God and do things God's way. See, See, when the Lord gives you a command, he is trying to protect you and preserve the best that God has for you. And God doesn't want us to lose out in that. And so when God gives us a command, he is not restricting you, he is freeing you. It's the same when parents give guidelines and restrictions for living. Even God's, make, uh, God's commands for human sexuality that sex within marriage as defined by God is between a man and a woman and are for our benefit. Now the world will say, well, don't tell us how to live. Don't impose your rules and regulations on us. Friends, once again, God's commands are not burdensome. When we do things God's way, God blesses. And we can come up with 80, 90, 100 different pronouns or whatever, you're this, you're, I don't care. There is male and there is female Bible. That's it. And we can't deviate from God's word. Remember, backbones of steel from last Wednesday, hearts of compassion. And so God's commands are for freeing us, not for restricting us. I mean, Deuteronomy 6 it says in verse 23, he brought us out from there to bring us in and to give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God and has, uh, he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. 
And so God's commands are wonderful. Just as God's mercy is wonderful and God's kindness brings us to repentance, God's commands are there for, for, for us to obey them. However, you will not obey him if you do not believe him and you don't trust him. You cannot believe him if you do not love him. And you cannot love him unless you know him. That's the bottom line. If you do not obey him, it indicates that you do not know him. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. Let me close with the story. The story's told how Sir Leonard Wood once visited the king of France and the king of France was so pleased with him that he was invited to dinner the next day. And so Sir Leonard Wood went to the palace and the king meeting him in one of the hallways said, why, why Sir Leonard, I did not expect to see you. How is it you are here today? And Sir Leonard Wood says, did not your majesty invite me to dine with you, said the astonished guest. And the king replied, yes, but Sir Leonard Wood, you did not respond or answer my invitation. Then it was that Sir Leonard Wood uttered one of the choicest sentences of his life. He replied, and I quote, a king's invitation is never to be answered, but to be obeyed. A king's invitation is never to be answered, but to be obeyed. Friends, that's the place that obedience has in the word of God, in the mind of God, and in the hearts of the people of God. And the question we should ask ourselves this morning is this. Does obedience take that place in my heart? Does obedience take that place in your life? Or are there areas that you are picking and choosing? I'll obey here, but I'll do my own thing there. That's a divided heart, and God can't bless that division. Psalm 119, 33, I think would be a good prayer for all of us where it says, Psalm 119, 33 through 35, Teach me, O Lord, teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will understand them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. With all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. I started out with Deuteronomy 28, verse 2. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Let's all stand to our feet. Pam, if you'd come. I'm not sure if the worship team was coming or not. Worship team, come on up here. If we are going to get the blessings of God to overtake us, and I could spend just one whole week talking about how God wants to bless his people. This is Bible. It's in the Bible. But if we want the blessings of God to overtake us, one area that we're going to have to get right is this area of obedience. The blessing of God comes when we obey. And so I ask this morning, what place does obedience have in your life? What place does obedience have in your life? If there's areas that you haven't been obeying God, with all my heart, I exhort you today, start obeying God. Get this area right with God because God won't bless until we're obedient. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking to his church today.
Father, I pray as we wrap this up today that you would teach us to obey and God to trust. And we pray with Solomon, God, give us a hearing, obedient heart. Give me an obedient heart above all else. And Lord, we also read about Solomon, how you said because he didn't ask for money or this or that or whatever, you blessed him with all these things. God, may our pursuit not be the blessings, but the blesser. May our pursuit be of you. And may you, God, be our ever great reward. Knowing, God, that you do command your blessings on, on us. Thank you for that. But God, for those that are having an obedience problem this morning, it's because they have a love problem. And God, I pray that they would get that, that established with you. For Jesus, you even said, if you love me, you obey me. I'm not going to embarrass anybody this morning. I'm not going to say, well, how many have an obedience problem come to the altar and, and whatever. Right where you're at, just repent and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for disobeying you. Forgive me, God for questioning you. Look this way just for a moment. We're going to sing a song about the goodness of God. It's running after me. It's running after me. The other night, I was at the cabin, and I was going to bed, Friday night, going to bed. And I sensed the voice of God saying, Brian, kneel before me. Kneel before me. And all, all of a sudden, it's like, God, I don't kneel. I have two knees that's been replaced. Now, I said that that was my first response, I'm just being honest with you. And it didn't hit me. God knows that. God knows about my knee problem. And God knows about how difficult it is for me to get on my knees. And for those of you that had knee surgery, some of you here, you understand that. And it's like, okay, God, you know all that. So I got on my knees. And the whole time I was on my knees, side of my bed, I was praying, interceding. That whole time, wasn't long, but that whole time, my knees didn't hurt a bit. I got up, went to bed, laid in bed. I slept all night long. It was wonderful. It was peaceful. But, but how, it's, it's weird how my first response was, God, I don't do that because, well, God's like, yeah, I know. You know, there's nothing that God tells us to do that catches us by him by surprise. Like, well, I didn't know you had that. He didn't. Well, I take that back. No. Will you obey? Yes, I will. Yes, I will. That's, that's, that's the area that obedience has in our lives. We just do it, and we obey. And there God commands his blessing, amen? I start out by asking the question, how many want to see God move in such a way that the other nations, the other people around you will see how awesome is your God? It's going to happen when we get this right. Next week, I'll deal with holiness, holiness, and then I'm going to deal with worship. If we can get obedience, holiness, and worship right, God's blessing. Amen?